Well, welcome everyone to Mill City. If you are here with us at Quincy, if you're with us online, we're so glad. Would you join me? Let's pray as we center ourselves on the Lord this morning. As we pray, I just encourage you, if you're able, just take a deep breath and breathe out. Father, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the ability to gather as your people. Gather at home, gather here, and worship you. Spirit, we thank you that you are present with us wherever we are. And so, Jesus, we look for your guidance. Would you lead us through your word? Would you draw us closer to your heart? And Jesus, would we better love our community in your name? We love you, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, so growing up, my parents would read me this book by this author called P.D. Eastman called Are You My Mother? Now, some of you might have heard of that book. Some of you might be reading that book to your kids right now. But if you haven't heard of that book, here is a quick summary. So in the story, you have the mama bird who leaves the nest to go and find some food. But while she leaves the nest, the baby bird hatches, and in his curiosity, leaves the nest. He falls out of the nest. So now he has two problems. First, he has to find his way back home. And second, he now has to find his mother. But the problem is he has no idea what his mother looks like. So true to the title, the baby bird wanders all over the field asking different animals, are you my mother? Are you my mother? Are you my mother? He asks a chicken, a cow, a tractor, and a boat. I think my favorite interaction is actually the dog, where he hops on top of the dog's head and he says, are you my mother? And the dog lifts its head and kind of looks to the sky and just says, no, I'm a dog. And maybe that's not too funny, but I laugh every time, including this week when I read that book and I burst out loud laughing at that sentence. So in the story, we find the baby bird in his questions asking, are you my mother? Are you my mother? This baby bird is looking for security. This baby bird is looking for identity. Now, if you look at psychology textbooks or leadership studies, most people agree that you and I have basic needs that usually boil down to three categories. Identity, security, and purpose. Identity, security, and purpose. And what these textbooks say is that a good leader will bring those things to us. So that's why in the good times and tough, I believe just like the baby bird, we go from person to person, object to object, and we ask, are you my leader? Are you my leader? Are you my leader? And we hope that these people or objects can fulfill these needs. Now, when we look at the arc of Scripture, we see these God-given desires for identity, security, and purpose aren't new. But what Scripture invites us into is it points us to the fact that the only leader that can truly meet those needs is Jesus. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So during the series, we've been looking at the themes that are woven through this arc of Scripture. If you're unfamiliar with this arc, uh, there'll be a slide on the screen, and you'll see it. This arc is creation, disruption, redemption, and restoration. So in this grand story of Scripture, we have creation, disruption, redemption, and restoration. And we've been looking at the series at the themes that are woven in this meta-narrative story. 
So we've looked at the theme of God's love. We've looked at the theme of God's promises. We've looked at the theme of God leading us through the wilderness. And today we're going to discuss the theme of God's leadership, how this theme is present in the ark. So as we go through the sermon, you'll notice we're not going to stay in one section, but we're actually going to move from creation all the way to resurrection. And I'm going to try to do this in 25 minutes, so we'll see how that goes. All right, so we're going to start with creation. What does God's leadership look like at the beginning, at creation? In the beginning, we have this perfect picture. God as creator and leader invites humans to follow and be co-workers in caring and leading creation forward. But it doesn't take long for humans to ask someone other than God, are you my leader? We see this in Genesis 3 where humans are faced with a choice, either follow God's leadership or follow their own and take power into their own hands. And they, unfortunately, they choose the latter. And this leads us to a section of disruption. So we've moved from creation now to disruption. And in this disruption, we see Adam and Eve experience a disruption of identity. They now feel shame. They experience a disruption of security. They had to leave the garden. A disruption of purpose. The work that was once good would be a burden. And finally, they experience a disruption of community. They no longer had the relationship with God that they once had. But what you'll see in the section of disruption is God never gives up on humanity. No, from disruption to redemption, we see God continuing to invite his people back, inviting them to find their identity, their security, and purpose in him. Yet time and time again, in this section of disruption, humans place their hope in other leaders, in other people to find their identity, security, and purpose. Now, one such moment happens in the book of 1 Samuel, and that's where we're going to start today. Book of 1 Samuel, chap, uh, chapter 8, and it sets the stage for God to bring this perfect leader. So we're going to be looking through a couple passages this morning, and, but, and all the scripture will be on the screen. But if you want to follow along in your Bible or on your app, we are going to start with 1 Samuel, chapter 8. So you can turn there if you want. Now, as you're turning to 1 Samuel, chapter 8, I just need to set the scene. Now, the people of Israel in the story have left the wilderness that Pastor Steph talked about last week, and they are now in the land God promised them. After Moses died, God continued to provide leaders, both men and women, to protect the people of Israel and point them to God's heart. You can find these leaders and their stories in the book of Joshua and Judges. Now, one such leader that God raised up to lead his people was Samuel, who is one of the characters in the story. Now, Samuel was growing old, and he decided to appoint his sons as the leaders to succeed him. But unfortunately, his sons were really corrupt. And so the leaders of Israel, seeing this problem, they approached Samuel, and this is what they said. And this is in 1 Samuel chapter 8. So the leaders say to Samuel, You are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said this, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. 
Now, you might be saying, what's the big deal here? All they wanted was a king. Well, for this, we have to look at the context of the nation of Israel. In those days, the kings and the surrounding nations were the ultimate authority of those nations. These kings would be responsible for those nations' identity, security, and purpose. But Israel was different. They had 12 tribes, and they had leaders over those 12 tribes, but their ultimate authority wasn't supposed to be a human. Their ultimate authority was supposed to be God, and it was in God that they found their security, their identity, and their purpose. Now, God raised up leaders like Moses, Deborah, and Samuel, but they were intermediaries between God and his people. They were considered God's servants. So when the Israelite leaders asked to be like all the other nations and have a king, it was not just a political statement, but it was a religious one. In essence, the leaders were implying, God, as the ultimate leader, you're not as successful a leader as we need you to be. They want to be like all the other nations and, a lead, and have a leader that they can actually see and put their trust in. Now, this request grieves God's heart. Yet in grace, God tells Samuel to give them what they want, but with a warning. Samuel tells the people, this is what the king will do. Now, as you glance through the passage, you'll see the word take occur over and over and over again. What God is warning the people of Israel is that these worldly leaders will be defined by what they take. Following these leaders would be costly. These leaders would take Israel's identity, shaping who Israel would follow, who they would worship. These leaders would take Israel's security, taking their sons and daughters and their property as they accumulated wealth for the king and his friends. And finally, these kings would take Israel's purpose, enslaving them to the king's own desires at the expense of their own. But God's people refused to listen and declared, we need a king. And so God gives them a king. Now, there were some good kings, and one of these kings was King David, who in humility took his place as God's servant and led Israel to trust God as their true leader. These times when the king would be God's servant, these times in Israel's history were great as Israel found their identity, security, and purpose in God. But even the good kings like David were flawed and soon led Israel to serve their own agenda. They soon became the ultimate authority. Throughout the books of 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings, we see these kings pursue money, sex, and power, leading Israel to follow other gods and losing their identity. But like I said at the beginning about disruption, God never gives up on humanity. God never gave up on Israel because God is in the business of redeeming and restoring. God saw Israel's need for a king, and through his messengers, the prophets, we see God say, hey, I know you want a king, and I know these kings aren't cutting it. So I promise one day I will bring a king. And this king won't just be a king. This king will be the king of kings. And he won't just be for Israel, but he will be for all nations. And the best part about this king is this king will be among you. You'll be able to see him and put your trust in this king. One of these prophets, Isaiah, describes this promised king in Isaiah chapter 9, which will be on the screen. Isaiah says, He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. These four names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, they describe the totality and grandeur of this king. This king would be the wonderful counselor. All wisdom would belong to the king. This king would be the mighty God. All strength would belong to the king. 
This king would be the everlasting father. All provision would belong to the king. And this king would be the prince of peace. All peace would belong to this king. And this king would bring justice and righteousness and peace to his people. When you hold up 1 Samuel and Isaiah back to back, you see the contrast in these leaders that God is defining. The worldly leaders, when we try to put our identity, security, and purpose in them, these worldly leaders will be defined by what they take. But this king that God promised, this king would be defined by what he gives, by what he gave. So we move from creation to disruption, and now we're in redemption. We move to the redemption arc in the story, and we see this promised king in this person, Jesus. Now, Jesus was no ordinary king. He was God come down to live and walk among his people, to empathize with them, to rejoice with them, to mourn with them, to be Emmanuel, God with us. Wherever Jesus walked, he invited people from the least to the greatest to put their trust in his leadership and in him to find true identity, security, and purpose. Jesus still came against the leaders of that day who took from the people, and Jesus showed he was the king that Isaiah promised, the king who would give instead of take. And we see Jesus describe more of what he would give in the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Jesus says in response to the leaders of the day, the thief comes only to steal kill and destroy. But I have come that my people may have life and have it to the full. For I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus goes on to say, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This promise king, the one who had all authority, all power, all wisdom and strength, could have taken all the power for himself. And this is what we saw other kings do in the past. But Jesus was not defined by what he took, but Jesus was defined by what he gave, by what he gives. In laying down his life, he forgave us of our sins. He broke the curse that was upon us. The one thing that disrupted our relationship, the one thing that disrupted our identity, security, and purpose, in Jesus laying down his life, he forgave those things. And he invites us to find that identity, security, and purpose in him. And Jesus laying down his life, he invites us back to be in relationship with God. And it's a callback to the way things were meant to be in creation, with God walking and being in relationship with his people. So when we put our trust in Jesus' leadership, we can truly find our identity, that we are loved, our security, that God is with us, and our purpose, that we get to join God in the work that God is doing. So that's Jesus' leadership through the ark. We've gone creation, disruption, and redemption. But now what do we do with that? Why is it so tough to trust Jesus' leadership now? As I was thinking about this, it brought to mind a picture. Does anyone here like roller coasters? Roller coasters? A few people. You can comment on the thread if you like roller coasters. Yeah, I'm petrified of roller coasters. I'm terrified of them. Now, when I was in high school, my friends decided and convinced me to go to Six Flags, which is an amusement park, and to go on this roller coaster called the Raging Bull. Now, first of all, unlike the other roller coasters, there was no full body harness. There was just a harness around your waist. And when I approached that roller coaster, I looked at the harness, and I looked at the distance between the harness and the seat, and I told myself, I'm going to fly out. I'm going to die. This is going to be where Asha ends. And so... I was like, this, this, this harness, it's too small. Second, this roller coaster, I researched, this roller coaster is the tallest, the longest, and the fastest roller coaster in the park with high points that are incredibly high and low points that are incredibly low. 
But because I'm a people pleaser, I got on the roller coaster. And it began to go up and up and up and up. And we reached this point where if you've been on a roller coaster, you know this point. You know your stomach's about to jump into your throat. And we rounded the curve and then whoosh, went down. Now, while all the people around me were raising their hands, they're like, woo, we love this. This is amazing. I had a death grip on the harness. You see, in the ups and downs of this roller coaster, I placed my trust in the thing that was in front of me. And what I placed my trust in, what I held on to, defined my identity. I was scared. It defined my security. I thought I was going to die. And it defined my purpose. I got to get off this roller coaster. That was my purpose in that moment. In fact, some leaders are good leaders that God has blessed us with. But when they become the ultimate authority, when we hold on to them, I believe that leads to a life of fear, uncertainty, and exhaustion. It's so easy to place our trust in what we can see and what we can control. Yet as good as these leaders are, they can't fulfill our God-given desires for identity, security, and purpose in the way that God can fulfill those things. So where are you placing your trust? Now, the second question, where can you celebrate trusting Jesus' leadership in your life? The sermon is not all going to be challenged. This is also going to be celebration as well. So where can you celebrate trusting Jesus' leadership in your life? In this practice of gratitude, I think we get to thank God for his faithfulness. And also, it opens our eyes to see God's faithfulness, what he's doing in the world around us. Now, some of you might feel nervous thinking, oh, no, what if I can't think of anything? Am I a bad Christian? Now, I say that because that would be exactly me sitting there if a pastor asked me that question. Where can you celebrate God's leadership, trusting God's leadership in your life? Now, I want to offer a quick celebration. For those who are listening to this message, for those who are here or tuning in online, you're trusting Jesus with this hour, and that's something to celebrate. You're carving out time to fix your eyes on Jesus and let that shape the way that you head into this week. We can celebrate that together, trusting Jesus' leadership. But when I think of this community, there's so many other things that we can celebrate trusting Jesus' leadership in. We can celebrate trusting Jesus' leadership as he's led us to love our neighbors. We can celebrate trusting Jesus' leadership as he's led us to manage teams or create products. And we can trust Jesus' leadership in the ways that we've gone and taken care of kids in school, taken care of those in need, moved to different places, trusting Jesus and saying, Lord, I don't know where we're going, but I trust your leadership. And I trust you will define my identity, security, and purpose in this new season. Millicity, we can even celebrate the ways that we've adapted this year and trusted Jesus' leadership. Worship and loving our neighbor has had to look different, but we've adapted. And in trusting Jesus' leadership, I believe that's made us stronger as a community. These are the things that we can celebrate. So where can you celebrate trusting Jesus' leadership in your life? And finally, where is Jesus inviting you to trust his leadership? Now, throughout my life, there have been moments of rediscovering or discovering who God is. And in one of those moments while I was journaling, I had a picture, and I want to invite you into that picture this morning. So if you wouldn't mind, if you're here, would you close your eyes? Or if you're at home, would you close your eyes? And I'm going to lead you through this picture, and hopefully you can picture yourself in these images. So I want to envision yourself in a space or an environment outdoors that brings you peace or calm. For some, it's a lake. For some, it's a park. For me, it was a field full of grass. And I was kneeling in this field, and I was looking down at what was in my hands. In my hands, I saw the things I was desperately trying to control, trying to hold on to. 
During this pandemic, that's looked like my worries, my plans, my family, and my health. Now, as you close your eyes and imagine this scene, what are some of the things that you're holding on to? What are the things in your hand? The things that you're worried about, that seem out of your control, that lead you to desperately cry for help. As I was kneeling down and as I looked down at my hands, I felt a presence standing right beside me. And I knew that this was my good shepherd. I knew that this was Jesus. And I looked up from my hands and I looked up to him and I saw his hand reach down and he offered his hand and said, come walk with me. In that request, there was an invitation to let go of what I was holding on to and take Jesus' hand and trust him. There was an invitation to let go of what I was holding on to, what I was crouched down looking at, and look up and take Jesus' hand and trust him. You can open your eyes. This picture was so powerful for me in that moment that even now as I do devos, I actually take time and I raise my hand. And this is my way of saying, Jesus, I trust you with today. I'm going to the Savior who was promised. It reminds us that we have a leader who laid down his life for us that invites us into relationship with himself. A leader who defeated death and fear. And like we talked about creation, disruption, redemption, this song is all about restoration, that this leader will one day come back and make the wrong things right. And this leader will reign forever as our leader. And forever and ever, we'll know that our identity, security, and purpose is found in him, and we'll get to join Jesus in that. Now, there are so many leaders who we can place our trust in. And the questions this morning are, what are you holding on to? Where can you celebrate Jesus, trusting Jesus' leadership in your life? And where can you trust Jesus? Where is Jesus inviting you to trust his leadership? What we see in the story of Scripture is there's no one, no matter all how good the leaders are around us, there's no one who loves us or can care for us like Jesus. So will we step towards him? Will we trust him? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you that you are a God who loves us, who never gave up on humanity, a God who invites us to trust you and to trust your leadership. And so, Jesus, this morning, would we open our hands and surrender, saying, Lord, you know what's in our hands. You see us kneeling down, and you're right beside us, and you invite us to look up and place our trust in you. Jesus, you are a kind and loving Father. And so would we step towards you today. In your name I pray. Amen.